0: Acts chapter number three is where we're going to begin at. What we've been doing is in the book of Acts, we are looking at the beginning and the growth of the church. We're seeing uh, seeing the church go from just a handful of believers uh, afraid and scared in the corner of the upper room uh, to being powerful witnesses and turning the world upside down with the gospel. We see that it's a process that takes place, it takes place over time, and it takes place through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what we've said is that usually the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles, but I believe it could be uh, more rightly called the work of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And so that's what are the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And so uh, before we go any further, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, ask His blessings upon our services today and uh, then we'll go ahead and dive on in. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings, and Lord, we thank you for the day that you have given us. Thank you for the opportunity to be here for uh, those who have gathered out, for their desire to uh, be in your word and to grow and to learn. We just pray, Lord, ask you help us to draw nearer to you. Help us, Lord, to grow in our, our love toward you and our faith. Lord, we just pray, ask you that you would guide and direct me in the things that I say this morning that would be uh, helpful to each person here, Lord, that they would get you from the service exactly what they need. I pray that you be with those who uh, aren't able to attend this morning and those who are still on their way out, that you'd watch over those. And Lord, we just pray I ask you to be at the class next door as well. And Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do. We thank you for your word that you've given us, Lord, and that we can uh, look to it, that we can learn, and that we can grow, and that we can draw near to you. And we just pray that you do the needed work today. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so as I was saying here, the, the apostles are going from being uh, fearful and uh, struggling to being bold witnesses for uh, the cause of Christ. And so in the first chapter, we saw as they were uh, huddled there, fearful in the upper room, they are uh, uh, impatient, I guess we could say. The Lord has told them to, to wait until the Spirit comes. And during that time, they decide to replace... Uh, replaced Judas with Matthias, and then after that, in chapter number two, the Holy Spirit came and started manifesting himself and uh, showing himself amongst the people, uh, signifying that a new era had began, uh, and showing that he was empowering his apostles and uh, that he was also uh, drawing attention to the words that they were speaking so that people would be paying attention to the things that they were saying. And so as they began to, to uh, have these things happen, people were curious. They were trying to figure out what in the world's going on. Some were accusing the apostles of being drunk. And Peter stands up and gives a defense on that day. And he says, we're not drunk like you're saying, but instead this is the working of the Holy Spirit as was prophesied in the Old Testament. And instead what's going on here is that God is showing you, showing the Jews specifically that he is giving them one more chance, showing them that he is uh, doing something in their midst, because in the Old Testament it was prophesied that with another tongue and with other nations, that they would hear those in the streets of Jerusalem, and that was a sign of judgment coming upon Israel at that time. And he said, basically, you all messed up, you crucified your Messiah, you crucified the Son of God. And you are going to be uh, judged for that. You are going to be condemned for that unless you repent, unless you accept the one who you previously rejected. And so from that, many of them, it says 300 were, or 3,000, 3,000 were saved on that day. 3,000 were saved and baptized, and there was added to the church daily such as should be saved. And then last week, where we were at, what we were looking at, is that the disciples, specifically Peter and John, were going to the temple. They had kind of started a new tradition, a new custom, if you will. The believers were meeting together and fellowshipping together and praying together uh, in the temple. That was the best place for them together, especially since there was 3,000 of them, right? (laughs) And so as they were coming together uh, on the way, they laid eyes on a man who was lame, who was paralyzed and he was begging. He was just trying to sustain life, and uh, he reached out to the disciples for some sort of money, for some sort of uh, financial gain or help to get him through another day, and they responded by saying, "'Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk.'" And he immediately stood up. His uh, feet and ankle bones received strength, And he began walking and leaping and praising God. And it was a sign and a wonder to all the people there in Jerusalem that these men who had testified of Jesus Christ, who had been preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus, that they were sent by him and their message was authenticated by the signs and the wonders that they were allowed to do. And notice all these things are extremely early on. In the, the very beginning of the church, God is preparing the people and he's also uh, preparing his messengers uh, for what he is doing. This is something, as I said, it was building slowly because Acts is a transitional book. Okay. And I want to keep driving that point home. Acts is a transitional book, there is a change that takes place during the book of Acts. And so, as this is happening here, uh, we're kind of getting a groundwork, a foundation for the ministry that's going to happen later on. Uh, it's kind of front-loaded here with the signs and the wonders and the miracles, and that's God putting his stamp of approval on what was going on there. Okay, And they're going to need this, and this is empowering them. This is emboldening them. They're seeing thousands come together. They are receiving strength from one another. They are encouraging one another. And then what we're going to find in today's lesson is that they're going to also start facing persecution because we like whenever we come to christ to think that it's going to be uh, a bed of roses it's going to be smooth sailing when we come to christ we like to think that coming to christ is going to fix all of our problems and that everyone's going to like us and everything is going to be just fine and dandy but that's oftentimes not the case and it definitely wasn't with the first century believers And so the more they grew and the more uh, they gained in popularity and in numbers, the less popular they were with the establishment. And not only that, whenever we look at their message, which is the first thing that we'll do, when we look at their message, it is very convicting and condemning on the ones who were in charge, and the ones who were in power. And so Peter is going to need a backbone of steel to face the, the... opposition that he's going to face, to stand against the ones who he's going to have to give an answer to. And historically, from what we've seen through the gospels, Peter has not been that man. He has not been the strongest. He is the one who cowered to a maiden by the fire. The maiden said, you're one of his disciples. And Peter denied vehemently with oaths and cursings, I am not one of his disciples. And now he's going to stand before the very same ones who who put Jesus on the cross and say like Nathan did to King David, thou art the man. That is a huge difference that takes place. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that we can attribute that difference to is the fact that the Holy Spirit now indwelled him. Okay. And so as we look at this, go ahead and uh, in Acts chapter number three, we're going to read the second half of the chapter. We had finished off, as I said last week with, the, the lame man leaping and praising God. And so now there's a crowd that's gathering and they're looking for answers. What is going on? How is this lame man healed? And so in verse number 12, it says, And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom he delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. "...whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled." Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must excuse me, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever uh, he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days, ye are the children of the prophets, and of the covenants which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, and turning every one of you from his iniquities. And so as we look at this passage, this is Peter's second sermon, his second message that he preached to the people. And it has a very similar content to the first message. So we're not going to uh, dwell too long on it. But I do want to bring out several things from this passage. The first one being whenever he was talking to them, he's talking specifically to the nation of Israel. Uh, we are going to see a transition take place from their focus being upon the nation of Israel to Israel's final rejection of Christ and them turning to the Gentiles. Okay? The Gentiles aren't replacing Israel, but Israel for a time is being set aside. And in this passage, we saw the time of uh, uh, restitution there uh, in verse number 21 that's going to take place later on, and the time of refreshing that's going to take place later on. We'll get to that in a minute. But he's not done with Israel, but for a time, he's going to be turning away from them. And so their message is aimed at Israel. God is still dealing with Israel at this time. And so I'm, I'm focusing on this, I'm bringing this out, because as I said, there is a transition that's going to take place. And so we have to be careful because we are not Israel. We are not Jews. And so the ministry is going to take a turn as it turns to the Gentiles. Is that pretty clear? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's just a little bit of a context for what we're looking at. And so in addition to that, uh, he tells them here, he says, you're looking at us as if we are the ones that have the power to do this. You're looking at us wondering, how is this man made whole? How is he able to walk here as if we did it by our own power or by our own holiness? And he quickly refutes that. And what he is telling them is it's not by anything that is in us. It's not by any ability that we have. It's not by our own power. It's not even because of our holiness or our righteousness or how godly we are, but it is the work of God that he is doing before you all. And it's good for us to get a hold of this. It's something uh, important for us to get a hold of, because too many today try to portray themselves as being some mighty or some great vessel of God, and they try to take the glory upon themselves, And what we find is that the disciples, the very first thing, they have done something miraculous, and their first response is saying, it's not us, it is God. They refused any kind of recognition, they refused any kind of honor, any kind of glory to themselves, and they immediately turned it toward God. Not only that, but they also turned the attention away from the miracle that was done, that wasn't their focus, that wasn't the main thing. The miracle was simply a a vehicle if you will, an avenue in order to get people's attention for them to listen to these men to hear what their message was. Yeah. Okay? And so rather than saying, hey, look at these great things that we are doing, look at this great ability that we have, look at what a miracle this is, look at how powerful I am, how holy I am, how righteous I am, how godly I am, they said it's not based on anything that I am, not based on power that I have, not based on how good I am, because if you think about this for just a second... People will try to say that their works testify to their goodness, and they will use that to lift themselves up, right? Mm -hmm. Look at what a great teacher I am. Look at what a great pastor or preacher I am. Because of all of these miraculous things that God is doing through me, and they lift themselves up instead of lifting God up. And that is the opposite of what we see the apostles doing. Right. And that should be a red flag for us today whenever we see people acting in an ungodly way, whenever we see people acting in a way that isn't, uh, isn't in line with what we see of the apostles in the early church. And so the miracles and the wonders and the works that they did, they said these aren't to glorify us, these aren't to draw followers to us, but they are to turn people's eyes to God. And we're going to see in the rest of this passage that the people indeed do glorify God and not men, right? And so if we are trying to use these things for our benefit and our glory, we are outside of the will of God. Uh, Also, we are a little ignorant of Scripture as well because God used a lot of things that definitely weren't righteous or holy or good. Uh, In Balaam's case, he used Balaam, which was a pagan Sorcerer, basically. And if that wasn't enough, he used a donkey to talk to Balaam. And so if you want to say that miracles and signs and wonders and all of these uh, things show how good and how godly you are and that people should admire you because of it. Well, admire Balaam's donkey. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar, right? A wicked and pagan king. And so we see all these different things. God can use anything. says that if we would remain silent, even the rocks would cry out right? Mm -hmm. And so for us to be arrogant and prideful and lifted up, for us to try to use the spirit and power of God to try to glorify and to build up ourselves or our brand, we are completely missing the mark, okay? We're completely off base. And so he says specifically, uh, why look you so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness, we have made this man to walk? And so he, his audience is Jewish, and he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers, they would be all on board with that, right? Until it comes down to this, hath glorified his son Jesus. This is the one, This remember, this is within two months of Jesus being crucified. This was within two months of him riding into town on the donkey and all of them saying, Hosanna, save now, Lord, And then within a few days after that, shouting, crucify him, we will not have this man to rule over us. And this is the same crowd. These are the same people. And they are hearing that this Jesus, who for a moment they followed, and then they rejected, and then they crucified, that he was indeed the Son of God. And all the signs and the wonders and the miracles confirm that he was indeed the Son of God. Not only that, but especially his resurrection confirms that Jesus was the Son of God. And so he says, The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his Son Jesus, whom ye delivered up, and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And so as they're coming and they're curious and they're wondering, how is it that this man walks? Peter just lays it out for them and says, the one that you denied, that you refused and that you rejected is proved to be the son of God by his resurrection and by the signs and the wonders and the miracles that he is doing now, the The mode of operation, if you will, has changed. God is doing something big before you all, and if you don't repent, if you don't reject your previous uh, previous rejection of God and turn to him and accept him, then there's going to be a judgment that comes upon you. So if we were just to take Peter's message here, it's fairly simple, that God has come in the flesh... He has came and we have rejected him. We have sinned against him. We have uh, refused him and we are guilty before him. Okay? And he is going to return. He is going to come again. And unless we receive him, whenever he comes again, we will be judged and we'll be found guilty. Okay? That's the simplicity of his message. He preached the gospel, the very same gospel we still preach Today, a little bit more Jewish context because I can't say, Well, you crucified the Son of God, (laughs) you may not have, but your sins did. Your sins made it necessary, your rejection, and these things made it necessary for the Son of God to come and go and die upon the cross. But He didn't stay dead, He resurrected, and He is coming again. And so, as we continue down through this passage, remember He's talking to the the Jews at this time. And these Jews would have been very familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. They would have been very familiar with the prophecies. Okay. But they were looking at them through a skewed perspective. They were seeing what they wanted to see. And we as human beings, we're we're often guilty of that, right? Mm -hmm. We see what we want to see. And we can be completely oblivious to things that are there in the open because we don't want to see them. Yeah. We've all known people who were in bad relationships and they couldn't see the flaws and the faults because they were looking with rose-colored glasses, as they say, right? Right. That's kind of what the Jews were doing as they were looking into the prophecies. They had been marginalized. They had been in captivity. They had been oppressed because of their sin and their rejection of God, might I add. But they were looking to be delivered, and they knew that the prophecies said the Messiah would come, and that he would rule and reign, and he would uh, make Israel once again to be the, basically the, the main kingdom, the main people in this world, that they were going to be elevated to this place where all nations would be looking to them. And they said, hey, that sounds good. We like that, right? Right? But they were overlooking the prophecies that said before the Messiah reigned, he must first suffer. And a lot of times they had trouble reconciling the passages that were obviously messianic with Jesus' suffering as a lamb dumped before his shears, so opening not his mouth, Right? And so those passages like that, they say, well, how is that referring to our Messiah? He brought out in his first message that he preached on the day of Pentecost, and he talked about how David, being a prophet, said that his soul was not left in hell and didn't see corruption. And David, obviously, his body saw corruption. He was dead, he was buried, his corpse rotted, right, right? So obviously he wasn't talking about himself, he was talking about the Messiah. And so how is it that the Messiah would be cut down, but he wouldn't be left in the grave, he wouldn't see corruption, that the resurrection was prophesied. And so that's what we see brought out in verse number 18. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath fulfilled. And so he's appealing to them. He's saying, you know that the prophecies say that the Messiah, the Christ, would suffer, and Jesus suffered at your hands. He's telling them the prophecies have happened just the way that God had said that they would, and they need to repent. Verse number 19. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. And this comes to the... the, words that I was looking to there a minute ago, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So he said that Christ was prophesied to suffer and he did he was prophesied to be resurrected, and he did. You have rejected him. You need to accept him. You need to repent and receive him before the time of uh, refreshing and restitution. Well, what is the time of refreshing and restitution? That is the prophecies that the Bible has of the Old Testament that the Lord is going to pour out his Spirit upon the earth that their old men are going to dream dreams or are their old men are going to have vision, their young men are going to dream dreams, all these different things that are going to take place before the Lord comes back, that he is going to take the nation of Israel and they are going to be witnesses unto the ends of the earth, that they are going to be a blessing to all people. And these are things that we find going on during the time of the tribulation, whenever God is going to raise up of the Jews a mighty and great number of witnesses to preach the gospel to this world before their Messiah comes to rule and reign. That's the time of restitution that it's speaking of, whenever he makes all things right, whenever he does judge, whenever he does set up his kingdom. And so what does this mean as Peter is preaching this to his Jewish audience? He says, "'Your prophets have told you this was going to come,' You have overlooked it. You didn't realize that the Messiah would suffer, but it is clearly within Scripture. He has resurrected, and now he is coming again. And when he comes again, you better be on the right side. You better be on his side. You better have accepted him and be serving him, or else, it says down here in Verse number 23, and it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. So there's judgment that's going to take place for those who have rejected. So simply put in this, Peter has preached the gospel. You have rejected God and there is coming a day of judgment. You need to get right with him or else there will be punishment that follows. Right? So that is a simple message that we see here at the end of chapter number three. But remember who he is telling this to. This is still the very fresh in their minds. It hasn't been very long since they said crucify him, right? These are the very people who were there and saw it happen that took part of it. And Peter is looking right straight at them and saying, you are guilty. You are guilty before God. And so what is their response? As we look at the beginning of chapter four, and as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and of the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed and the number of men was about 5,000. And so on the day of Pentecost, there was 3,000. Now there's 5,000. Now, depending on how you look at this, whatever it says, the number of the men, that's not counting women and children, right? right. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. I mean, 5,000 is is exciting enough. Yeah. But if it was just the men that they were counting, how many women and children followed along as well? Right. So there were a lot of people who believed. Now, if you think that included the women and children, that's fine. Still, it's five thousand people. Right. Okay. And five thousand believed in addition to the three thousand. So there's over eight thousand. Says that there's been added to them daily, such as should be saved. We don't know how many that was daily. The church is growing rapidly. Right. That is an explosion of growth, isn't it? And so this is what's taking place at this time. But not everybody was happy about this. And so a couple of very significant but brief takeaways from chapter number three. It is not about the signs, the wonders, the miracles. It's not about us. It is about preaching the gospel to the lost and dying world. Okay. if we get sidetracked on anything else, there's lots of noble things that we could get our our hands into. There's lots of noble things that we could occupy our time with. But whenever Peter and John and the apostles were there, what they saw as being a priority was getting the word out to the people that they had rejected Christ, that Christ was coming again and they needed to repent. They needed to get right with God before he returned. Right. That was their message. They weren't saying, "Come and bring all your sick to be healed." They weren't saying, "Come and see these things that we can do." Everybody, come and speak in tongues. They weren't saying, uh, "Listen to how great orators we are." Listen to our our twelve step program, or this, or that, or the other. They weren't starting new ministries, and they were preaching the gospel. And everything was being done to get people's attention, not on the not on the ministers, but on Christ. Okay, not to entertain them, but to see them get saved. That was the purpose of all of it. And so whenever we find them here in the beginning of chapter number four, they have been arrested. Now, this is what Peter had been fearing earlier. Right. He was afraid whenever Jesus got arrested, that he would also be arrested. Whenever Jesus got killed, he would also be killed. And so he denied Jesus turned away, ran away from him, and was very cowardly, right? We can't fuss too much against Peter because we'd probably do the same thing. We like our comfort. We like our our head to stay ma- uh, firmly attached onto our bodies, right? right. <laughs> we don't like the idea of hanging on a cross. That's not fun. We don't like pain. We don't like suffering. And we would probably be in the same boat as Peter. Right. But there has been a change that's taken place. Peter has seen the resurrected Savior. He has seen Jesus risen from the grave. His faith has been substantiated. He has uh, been empowered and entrusted with a great ministry by God. And he has been indwelt of the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit. He is a different man than that man that denied Jesus by the fire that night. All right. Okay? And so he has been... Uh, imprisoned, in verse number five it says that it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and get some of these names, okay? And Annas the high priest and Caiaphas. What is significant about those two guys? High priest. Yeah, high priest. What else? Yeah, Okay, they were the ones that stood against Jesus. They were the ones that commanded Jesus to be crucified. And Peter is now standing in front of the very same ones who crucified Jesus. The very same corrupt religious leaders who have killed the Son of God, and now Peter is in front of them. So what do you think is going on in Peter's mind? <laughs> but, yeah, I'm next. Right? Right? That cross I passed by as I was on my way out. It's got my name on it. Because the Romans were always executing people, right? Mm-hmm. But we know good and well that that's not what happened. Because we, uh, we fear things. We think we've got things figured out. We think we know what's going to happen. But God has other plans, right? Mm-hmm. And so in verse number five, no, verse number six, and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, so it was a family affair, right? Were gathered together at Jerusalem, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have ye done this? And so this is Peter's opportunity either to elevate himself or to downplay Jesus, right? Because he knows the name of Jesus is offensive to these guys. And so Peter gulps, takes a big breath, and he lets it rip, right? Mm-hmm. Verse number eight, then Peter, now pay attention to this phrase, then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. To be filled with the Holy Ghost means that the Holy Ghost is under control. It means that he is having his way, that you have surrendered uh, surrendered your will to his, okay? That's what it means. It's not what a lot of people try to make it out as being some kind of mysterious or weird or mystical type thing. It is whenever you allow God to have his way in your life. okay? Whenever you allow the Holy Spirit to be in the driver's seat. And so this is what he has let him do. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel... If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't cower. But instead, he tells them plainly and straightly like it is. I don't believe it was arrogant. I don't believe it was angry. I don't believe it was mean. I believe it was with being under the control of the Holy Spirit here. I believe it was out of love and out of compassion and out of concern because even Jesus would have would want to see Caiaphas right. and Annas and all of these men, he would want to see them saved, yeah. as did Peter. Mm-hmm. Now, that is a big change from who Peter was previously whenever he took his sword and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest, yeah. right? Whenever the disciples at one point in time were rejected and they wanted to call down fire from heaven and consume all of them, right? Instead, whenever he stood before them, he says, God has done something powerful in the life of this impotent man. You can't deny that this was a good deed that was done. It wasn't by me, it wasn't by my strength, it wasn't by my holiness, it was by God that this has happened. It says that it was specifically in the name of Jesus Christ whom they crucified. Remember, I said earlier it was like Nathan standing before David saying, Thou art the man, right? However, the man that he was speaking it to was not of the same material and character that David was. And so he says, it was in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified. So you killed him, but God has overridden your purposes, your plan, and your actions, and he has resurrected him from the dead. You thought that you had taken care of him. You thought that you had gotten rid of him, but God had other plans. And so it says God has resurrected him and he says you know very well that God has done it. Now this is a sad thing. okay? Because what was the excuse that they were using at that time for the fact of the empty tomb? The disciples stole him away. How would that work? (laughs) We've already covered the the character, the attitude of the disciples at that time. They were cowering somewhere. They were afraid. And even if they weren't, the tomb was guarded by Roman soldiers. Some of the best, most skilled fighters at that time. Do you think the disciples could take them on? When Peter tried to cut someone's head off, all he got was their ear. He
1: missed.
0: He missed. Do you think he was aiming for the ear? No. Peter's like swings a sword and the guy like bends over like right that's how i'm assuming it how do you cut a guy's ear off because he's not like going down like this because he's going like oh my arm right so how do you cut his ear he swings and he like leans over just just barely skims the side of his head and so yeah peter's not a formidable fighter the rest of them doesn't seem to be any better how are they going to take on roman soldiers well, the, the story that the soldiers told, they said, well, we fell asleep while we were on the post. Well, how would that work for Roman soldiers? one,
1: two. Not even one two.
0: Okay, so let's see here. There would have had to be some kind of a questioning that would take place, right? Yeah. So if they brought him in and they said, okay, soldiers, what happened? Why is the tomb empty? Well, we were asleep. Wait, wait just a second you were entrusted with guarding something and you fell asleep on the job. Is that true? Is that right? Is that true? Yes, that's what happened. Well, what is the penalty for you sleeping on your post? What is the penalty for you sleeping on the job? Death. Why are you still alive? Right? That in and of itself tells us that there was something going on, right? And on top of that, if you were asleep, How do you know that the disciples came and stole the body? I don't know about you guys, but whenever I'm asleep, I don't know what's going on around me. There'd be a lot of assumptions going on, wouldn't there? But that was a story that the the soldier said, while we were asleep, the disciples stole the body away. And these religious leaders knew good and well that all of it was a lie. These are the men who raised up the large sum of money to buy off the soldiers. These are the ones that had to go to the Romans and vouch for these soldiers so that they wouldn't get killed. And so these men knew that the body was gone. They knew that it was angels that the soldiers saw. They saw all of these things, told them all about it, and then they were given hush money. And these are the men that had uh, worked out the whole cover-up okay? They'd work out the whole cover-up. They knew for a fact that Jesus had resurrected. If he hadn't, either they would have found the body, they would have imprisoned the disciples, they would have killed the soldiers, but they were powerless to do anything because they knew for a fact that they killed Jesus and God didn't leave him dead, right? And so as Peter stands before him, and before this whole crew of them, he says, "God raised the one that you killed, the stone which was set at not of you builders." He's referring back to Old Testament prophecies. The stone that was set at not by you builders has become the head and the cornerstone. So the one that you rejected as unimportant, the one that you rejected as uh, unworthy has got the most principal place. He is the one that all things are going to be founded upon. And he goes a step further with this in verse 12, saying that neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none uh, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And so his message to these men who crucified Jesus and covered up the resurrection, he says, God has overridden all of your plans, and Jesus is the only one who can save. He is the one that God has set forth to be a propitiation. There's a good biblical word. A full payment for your sins. And so in what he is saying here, he has once again, I guess you could say this is Peter's third sermon, right? Contains the same message. You have sinned against the holy God. Judgment awaits you, but God is offering salvation. Right? Yeah and Peter is preaching the gospel to the very ones that crucified Jesus. That tells us a lot about who can be saved, right? There is none outside of God's ability to, ability to say there is not a single soul on this earth that God will not save, if only they would, right? He has given us a free will. He has given us a choice, and he says you have rejected him the first time, you either accept him now or you are going to be judged of him in the end. Okay? And so our expected response here at this time, we would expect for Caiaphas and Annas and the high priests and all of these religious leaders who are proven to be extremely corrupt, we would expect for them to lash out in anger We would expect for them to punish them severely or to execute them. But that's not what happens because we pick up in verse number 13 of Acts chapter four. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They said there is no other explanation for their knowledge, their ability, and for their boldness than that they have been with Jesus. There was an association that was made. And I think they were a little bit cautious now. They said the last time we tangled with Jesus, we came out on the the bad end of things. And once again, these are Jesus' disciples. These are his servants. And if we tangle with them, we may once again come out on the bad end of things, right? Right? But they, they didn't say, okay, Peter and John are just so powerful and dynamic. They are so bold and so wonderful. He says, no, Jesus in them has made a difference in them. And is that not where the power of our witness is still to this day? Is the work of God in us testifies to those around us so that they have no other choice than like these Men that we see here, verse number fourteen, and beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them, is manifest to all they all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. They looked at the evidence of what God was doing in the lives of his followers and through his followers, and they said, we don't like it, and there's nothing that we can say against it. We want to try to stop it, but really our hands are tied, right? The work of God and the power of God was being shown to all those around including the ones who didn't want to see and to hear it. And so they said, we can't deny that this is a work of God. We can't deny that a miracle has been done. We can't deny that these men have something that we can't even put our finger on, but we have to attribute it to Jesus. But their desire was that it wouldn't spread any further. Verse 17, but that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. How do you think that's going to go? Hmm. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them they let them go finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people for all men glorified God for that, which was done for the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was shown. And so they said, all men were glorifying God. They weren't glorifying religion. They weren't glorifying Peter. They weren't glorifying John. They weren't glorifying any of these other things. God was getting the glory because of what was being done. And I think that is a a good marker, if you will, to see if something is of God. Because if it's of God, God gets the glory.
1: Right.
0: If it's of man, man gets the glory. <laughs> right? Yeah. But going back to what we see here in this, there is something very informative in this passage that I want to bring out. And it is their response to wicked authority, to ungodly authority. Because many people have used this passage to justify uh, rebellion and actions against governments and that kind of thing, right? Whenever Peter and John says, uh, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, right? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so they take this verse and they use it to underline and for to bolster their argument in standing not boldly but proudly arrogantly rebelliously against those who are in a place of authority and of power right and so i want to just look at this just briefly for a moment and so and just look at when it's appropriate for us to stand against those in authority and those in power, okay? First of all, what I want us to see here is there is a clear command of Scripture, a clear command of God, that the government is seeking for them, uh, seeking to keep them from obeying, right? What What was the command that Jesus had given his followers? Before he left, his final command. Go, preach
1: the, word go to preach, the word.
0: preach the word to everyone, right? Go tell everyone, go be witnesses for me into all the world. That was the great commission. That is what he had told them to do. This is what we have seen from the beginning in the book of Acts. This is what their entire message consisted of, was preaching Jesus and salvation through him. And so the government came in, the religious leaders came in, and said, you can no longer obey what Christ told you to do, right? And that is when they said, we're going to obey God rather than men. We like to read a tone into this. We like for kind of to read in uh, pride and arrogance as if Peter is standing before them and somehow almost provokingly saying this before them. But I don't believe that was his heart. I don't believe that was the way that he was doing this. But instead he was saying, I have orders from a higher power. I have a command that's given to me and I must obey it rather than you. Mm -hmm. And the underlying thought in this was I am willing to accept the consequences that you may be able to dish out in order to obey the commands that God has given me, okay? And the reason I'm bringing this out is that a lot of people will take their preferences, their comfort, their desires, and try to make it out as if they have a right to be a pain in the backside, (laughs) right? To be a rebel to present themselves as a martyr or some kind of a hero for taking a stand for biblical things when in reality they're making a problem where there isn't one, okay? And this isn't what we are called to do. It's not for our comfort. It's not for our convenience. It's not to force our beliefs on everyone else. Peter's not standing before all of them and saying uh, we need to force the rest of the world and the rest of the government to abide by Christian principles, right? He is saying, I am going to continue preaching the gospel even if you tell me not to. I'm going to continue espousing the truth even when you tell me not to. I'm going to go about it graciously, respectfully, right? We still have the fruit of the Spirit. Meekness, long-suffering patience, gentleness, kindness, right? That's how Peter was going about. He was empowered by the Spirit. He says, I'm going to still be doing these things, not as if I'm some kind of a Rambo, some kind of a a superhero or savior or whatever, but instead I'm going to continue following the orders of my savior, and I'm going to trust him to take care of me, regardless of what the outcome may be, regardless of what the consequences may be. And there have been multitudes down throughout time that have followed in Peter's footsteps, and some of them have been delivered miraculously, and some of them have went to the stake, or been beheaded, or been hung, or been crucified, or the Bible says, sawed asunder, drawn and quartered, all these different things, but instead of trying to portray themselves as some kind of a hero, and to draw attention to themselves, and to get glory for themselves, They simply continue walking faithfully in the ways of God, continue faithfully obeying him, continue doing what he has said is right, continue aligning with his word, and then whenever it comes against the powers that be, they will not turn aside, they will not move, they will not recant. But they say, I'm going to stick by my convictions, I'm going to do what God has told me to do, even if you kill me, even if you imprison me, even whatever you do to me, I'm going to submit to him rather than to you, right? And that is the proper application of this passage, I believe, rather than looking at this as some kind of a rubber stamp for us to be vin- vigilantes. Okay, so does anyone have any any comments on that or anything to add to that today? Could have done just an entire lesson maybe on that, but I just want to t- kind of tack that on the end. Just to add to the
1: excuses they give, excuse me, on the excuses on the Resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. The soldier saying we were sleeping and whatnot. But if you go through and check the the measures that were put in, the security measures that were put in place, mm-hmm. and for them to say we were sleeping, and again say <clears throat> we know people who stole that body. It doesn't add up mm-hmm. because one so speaking from experiences being in security industry before. Once something happened, yes you're looking for for reason why they happen, Mm -hmm. but you don't know how they happen until there is certain conclusion made on them. So them to say no it was like we sleep and when you sleep you don't know what is happening. Is Jesus disciple come and steal their body? It's not working. There was like huge stone put there. There was like place where people would not. There was parameters allowing people not <clears throat> to come close. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think the the, the 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 excuses of the word of Jesus being stolen make sense at
0: all. It doesn't make sense at all. It doesn't even stand up to common sense.
1: Yeah. But there's people who st- still believe. Today, that's, Jesus was not it was, was, The was just it, it stolen and put someone
0: around. Well, that's still the common thing that's said amongst the Jews is yeah. his disciples stole the body. They can't deny that Jesus existed. They can't deny that he taught what he taught and claimed what he claimed. They can't deny that he was crucified. And they can't deny that the tomb was empty. And all they would have had to do was to find a body. That's all they would have had to do. But we find that even the way that they handled it, they wanted to keep it as quiet as possible. They didn't want to uh, start any kind of an investigation into it because they already knew what they were going to find. But another thing that that tells us is faith or belief in Christ is not... um, is not a matter of information or evidence or proof. It comes down to the heart. See, they had all the evidence, they had all the proof, but they would not. Mm -hmm. And there's still plenty of people to this day, they will try to uh, deny scriptures, they will try to mock and to ridicule Christianity, but if they will take an honest look into it, there is plenty of evidences, there are plenty of proofs, there's plenty of validation that what this book says is true but the reason that they will not accept it and will not believe it has to do with their heart rather than their head they have hardened themselves against God it's not that there's not enough uh, proof or evidence it is the fact that they would not they refused any other thoughts Okay, well, let's go ahead and we'll go to the Lord in prayer and we'll take a, a short break before the next service. Here, Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. Lord, we do thank you for these passages that we've been in today, Lord, and how we see the, the transformation that's taking place in your followers, Lord, the importance of uh, your Holy Spirit being in the lead, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, ask you that you would take us as uh, feeble and as unworthy as what we are and that you would use us for your honor and for your glory lord may we may we never seek to glorify ourselves lord but in all things that we would seek to glorify you and lord thank you so much for all that you do and always as i pray in jesus name name Amen. Amen.